Homosexuality is a really emotional topic, and Christians are left with the very tough question, how does God want me to respond? And considering the moral climate of our culture and the palpably countercultural view of Jesus, it's obvious that following Jesus will make you unpopular. If you follow Jesus, criticism or worse is coming. Jesus said, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. If you stand with Jesus on the issue of homosexuality, brace yourself. Brace yourself and trust him. And what a joyful ride it is. I hope God has used this series in your life. Uh, knowing the truth is, is half the battle. But God requires more. He's calling each of us to apply the truth with winsomeness and wisdom, aiming to win people, not arguments. We're going to answer a lot of questions, so let's get rolling. We're just going to fire them off. This is a weird sermon, so hang with me. Where do we begin? Well, out of the gates, answer two simple but telling questions. Do you really believe the Bible is God's word and therefore absolute truth? God tells us all scripture is breathed out by him, that the sum of his word is truth, that every word of his proves true. Your answer will determine how you respond to homosexuality. Secondly, do you really love Jesus enough to submit to all of his word? Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Do you love him? We build upon the answers to those two fundamental questions. What should you do if you're a Christian that struggles with homosexual feelings and desires? You hate your sin. You're committed to turning from it. You trust Christ alone for salvation. You're joyfully following Jesus, but you find yourself really battling homosexual desires. If that's you, Here are seven points to encourage you as you follow Jesus. Number one, you're not a freak Christian that struggles with a different class of sin. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Fundamentally, your struggle with sin is no different than any other Christian's struggle with sin. All sin misses the mark. Number two, every Christian is by nature guilty of original sin. Every person is born with a sinful nature, guilty before God, and has a predisposition to sexual sin. Original sin corrupts us, our bodies, thoughts, emotions, desires, choices, and even our sexuality. My former pastor, Bob Hopper, he used to say, cheer up, you're worse than you think. <laughs> and, then, and then he would end it with this, but the gospel is better than you know. We give ourselves too much credit. Jesus said sin comes out of the heart. That no one is good except God alone. Read Romans 3 and 5. We're all naughty by nature. Not because I hate you. You got me? About five of you get that. All right. Number three, every Christian's sexual desires are crooked, broken, and sinful. Isn't it true that all sexual immorality is an abomination to God? 
God's design for sex is husband and wife. So anything outside that is unnatural, crooked, and deviant. All wrongdoing is sin, and all sin is lawlessness, and all sin produces death. The struggle of same-sex attraction is equivalent to the struggle of heterosexual lust. They are both crooked desires, craving something contrary to God's best. Now, I must be clear when talking about desires, desiring marriage and sex is really good. That's a healthy desire. God made us sexual beings with sexual desires. But we must also realize that original sin has tainted our desires. We need Jesus to redeem our desires. So any desire for anything contrary to God's will is in itself sinful. Romans 13, 14 says, Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says, Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Our fleshly desires are anti-God. To conquer these sinful desires, we must walk by the Holy Spirit. Paul talked about Christians crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires. James wrote that our desires entice us, they give birth to sin, and sin grows up and kills us. We can't trust our desires, only the spirit of truth. Matthew 5.28 illustrates this. Jesus said, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The word there is epithumeo, meaning desire. Craving a woman who's not your wife is adultery of the heart. Apply the logic. Homosexual desires are homosexuality of the heart. We need to study our desires carefully because they are tainted by sin. Yet through Christ, we have the Holy Spirit redeeming our desires. So follow the Spirit, not your fleshly desires. God is still increasing our desires for Him while weakening our desires for sin. Number four, every Christian must deny himself daily, take up his cross daily, and follow Jesus daily daily. Jesus taught this. Self-denial marks the Christian's life. John Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. We must crucify our fleshly desires every day. Number five, you are not defined by your sexuality. Sam Albury is a godly pastor from the UK and the author of the very beneficial book entitled, Is God Anti-Gay? Get the book. Read it. Sam says he experiences same-sex attraction. He doesn't call himself or label himself gay. And he explains why. Quote, describing myself like this is a way for me to recognize that the kind of sexual attractions I experience are not fundamental to my identity. He's right. 
Christians are defined by Christ, not their sexual attractions. Number six, your struggle with homosexuality does not condemn you. Who is condemned? 2 Thessalonians 2.12 says those who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. If you believe God's truth and you take pleasure in righteousness, you are not condemned. Jesus doesn't condemn you for fighting sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1 Number seven. The gospel is the answer to your sexual brokenness. There is healing and forgiveness and power in the cross. Last week I said that Macklemore is wrong. Probably 98% of you have no idea who Macklemore is. Hallelujah. Uh, his song, Same Love, is about homosexuality. They play it on the radio. And here's some of the chorus. I can't change Even if I tried, even if I wanted to. And the question is, is that true? Is it true that those who struggle with homosexuality can't change? People push sexual orientation as a civil rights issue largely on the basis that sexual orientation is unchangeable. And there is really a philosophical push to disconnect personal moral responsibility and choice from sexual desires, which has unbelievably grave consequences in culture. Exhibitionism is the American way. Be whatever you choose and flaunt it. Cynthia Nixon from HBO's Sex and the City was heterosexual. Uh, She had two children Uh, but is now a lesbian. And this is her take on lesbianism, her own lesbianism. For me, it is a choice. I understand that for many people it's not, but for me it's a choice. And you don't get to define my gayness for me. As you can tell, I am very annoyed about this issue. Why can't it be a choice? Why is that any less legitimate? It seems we're just ceding this point to bigots who are demanding it, and I don't think that they should define the terms of the debate. End of quote. That's very interesting. Have you ever thought that some living the homosexual lifestyle are annoyed if you suggest that they were born gay? Even the gay community argues about this. John Aravosis is a gay blogger who responded to Nixon's comments. He writes this, quote, When you tell the New York Times gay people can choose their sexual orientation, you do tremendous damage, listen closely, to our civil rights effort. Every religious right hate monger is now going to quote this woman every single time they want to deny us our civil rights. Thanks, he writes. He called it. I'm using it. I don't think I'm a religious right hate monger, but... If homosexuality is a civil rights issue, what about pedophilia or bestiality or incest or polygamy or, or, or? Folks, homosexuality is just the beginning for American culture. This is very political, but it's mostly spiritual, an attempt to justify and normalize homosexuality and abolish accountability before God. Even if there is a gay gene, it changes nothing about God's moral law and our responsibility to follow it. See, the gospel changes people's desires. 
That's great news. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. As you delight in God, he helps you want what he wants. That's the gospel. 1 Corinthians 2 Corinthians, rather, 5.17 says, If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Some may battle same-sex attraction till they die. But in Christ, they are a new creation. We choose not to succumb or acquiesce to our sinful cravings because we love Jesus. Rosaria Butterfield, a former tenured English professor at Syracuse University and radical lesbian, changed. Her academic specialty, this is unbelievable, was queer theory. Jesus changed Rosaria. She is now a devout follower of Jesus, a mother of four, homemaker, and a pastor's wife in North Carolina. Jackie Hill Perry, that was the woman that we watched in the video, she changed She was molested, bullied, and fatherless, struggled with gender confusion at six years old, and said she grew up knowing God's truth. She just didn't believe it. She indulged in homosexuality, drugs, and porn. She said in her testimony, quote, I made a deliberate choice. I'm going to be gay. But Jesus changed her heart. She's now married and uses poetry to reach people for Jesus. Sam Alberry changed. He's a committed man of God, pastor and author who struggles with same-sex attraction. He fights it. He repents of it. He denies himself to follow Jesus. Matt Moore changed. Matt's a devout young Christian man who struggles with homosexual desires. Pretty, pretty amazing story. After he shared his testimony online, Matt yielded to temptation and he rejoined a gay website. And Gawker and the Huffington Post found out and they blasted him. And in an interview with the Christian Post, Matt was asked this question, how has the gay community treated you since Gawker and Huffington Post outed you? And Matt answered like this, There are those that very boldly express their wish that I would just die. But there are also those who have reached out to me in much kinder tones. They plead with me to embrace my homosexual feelings as a gift from God and assure me that God will love me no less if I live my life as a gay man and get in a gay relationship. Although I appreciate the demeanor of these people more so than the angry folks, I still emphatically disagree with the content of their message. It is contrary to the doctrine of Christ and I cannot accept it, end of quote. Later in the interview, Matt said something really real that I just totally appreciate. Time and time again, I have failed God and failed to live a life of holiness. But my obedience is not my salvation. Christ is my salvation. My glue of my relationship with God is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that never changes. Christopher Yuan changed. He lived a a promiscuous homosexual lifestyle. He contracted HIV and did time for drug trafficking. And Jesus changed his life. Jesus changes people. That's good news. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Even Dr. Robert Spitzer's study from Columbia University shows people's sexual preferences can change. 
They do change. But who are we to judge? Who are we to judge? Have you heard that argument? Christians aren't supposed to judge, right? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 1, Judge not that you be not judged. This could be, folks, the most misunderstood and misapplied verse in all of Scripture. Jesus wants us to judge rightly, to discern everything according to His Word. Making judgments is indispensable to following Jesus. Here's what I mean. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 15, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Now, that requires you to make a judgment, doesn't it? A judgment about the sin of your brother. In John 7, 24, Jesus says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So there's a right and a wrong way to judge. Jesus commands us to judge. So what does Jesus mean in Matthew 7, 1? Theologian and author John Stott explained, Quote, Jesus does not mean to assess people critically. In other words, we should do that. But to judge them harshly, we shouldn't do that. The censorious, he means hypercritical, critic is a fault finder who is negative and destructive towards other people and enjoys actively seeking out their failings. He puts the worst possible construction on their motives, pours cold water on their schemes, and is ungenerous towards their mistakes. Even when we have a log of of sin in our eye, because many times people go to that passage, Jesus says this, first take the log out of your own eye, and then what does he say? And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We need to repent first, but then with right judgment, help our brother deal with his sin. As Christians, we must rightly judge all things by God's word. This brings us to how do we show love to someone struggling with homosexuality? Really important question. A couple of things to consider. Start with being a friend. Be kind. 1 Peter 2.17 says to honor everyone. So being kind and honoring others never requires you to abandon truth. Pray diligently. Focus less on being the moral police and more on accurately and lovingly sharing the gospel. People need more than reformed sexual behavior. We want to see Jesus reform their heart. Lifestyle follows the heart. Tell people why Jesus is good news for them. Start with original sin instead of actual sin. And what I mean by that, I think it's more helpful to explain someone's sinful nature before you address their specific lifestyle of sin or specific sins that they struggle with. Maybe we've forgotten the golden rule altogether. Jesus said in Luke 6.31, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. You see, sin kills people. So as a Christian, you already understand how loving it is for someone to show concern for your spiritual health to lovingly rebuke and correct your sin, how that protects and honors you. We need to do better at showing real 
legitimate, genuine, God-centered, gospel-centered, Jesus-soaked love to other people. A great way to show love, this is a huge one, is to be open and honest about your sins and struggles. Remove all doubt that you are self-righteous by just being open about your struggles. Now, as a Christian parent in particular, how do you love your child struggling with same-sex attraction? This is easy to answer, but it's tough to apply. Mix unconditional love with gospel truth. Sam Alberry writes, Many of us Bible-believing Christians are losing confidence in the gospel. We are not always convinced it really is good news for gay people. We are not always sure we can really expect them to live what the Bible says. End of quote. Do you know the gospel is best for our kids? It's best. Uh, Old or young. Your greatest desire and goal as a parent should be to lead your children to joyfully and resolutely follow Jesus. Love them unconditionally while leading them to treasure Jesus Christ most. I tell my kids regularly, and I verified this with my kids, just to make sure that I'm not lying, okay? So I said, guys, do I do check this with me? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. This is what I tell my kids regularly that I love them no matter what. No matter what. That I'm proud of them, not because of what they do, but because God gave them to me as a gift. Even if they do something that wounds me, As their father on a deep level, I still love them. I always will. And whatever their lifestyle, as awful as it may be, though I may grieve over their sin, I deeply love and cherish them. I desire a relationship with them, and I want the best for them. And so I must help them as a godly dad to pursue Christ above everything else. That's my role, and I want to do that faithfully. Answer this question for yourself, parents. Do you want your kids to be happy or do you want your kids to be happy in God? They're different desires. If you want your kids to be happy, you'll compromise the truth. But if you want your kids to be happy in God, you'll do everything you possibly can to help them live for Jesus. Good parenting is cross-centered parenting. Loving your children is leading them to find their greatest joy and pleasure in Jesus Christ above all things to the glory of God, to the worship of God. Unconditional love is very different than unconditional affirmation. It is loving to sometimes disapprove. Every time parents affirm their children's sin, they belittle God, His truth, His grace, His forgiveness, His cross, His gospel, and His spirit, and they help their children destroy their sin. Or I'm sorry, not no, that would be a good thing. Destroy their joy, rather. Christopher Yuan said this, I'd always thought that God loves me with an unconditional love, and He does not want me to change. But I realize that unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional approval of my behavior. You see, my identity should never be defined by my feelings. My feelings should not dictate who I am. My identity must be in Jesus Christ alone. Love your children no matter what. No matter what. 
pursue them and always help them pursue Christ first. How should Jerusalem church respond or relate to people struggling with homosexuality? We need to answer this as a church. We can't dodge this. If they're not Christians, if they're not Christians, we welcome them, love them, serve them, and lead them to Christ. We teach them the truth and allow the Holy Spirit to convict them. Of course, their involvement will be limited because they aren't saved yet, and only Christians can experience the full benefits and privileges of the local church body, but non-Christians are welcome here. In fact, we should work hard to get them here. If they're professing Christians but believe their homosexual lifestyle is acceptable to God, we do the same thing, but more quickly address their inconsistent lifestyle because they're not living for Jesus in their sexuality. Professing Christians living in sexual immorality are directly insulting the name of Jesus Christ, and so it's really, really serious. 1 Corinthians 5.11 is extremely tough on professing Christians living in sexual sin. We're told not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality. We're told not even to eat with them. 2 Thessalonians 3 has some equally tough words for inconsistent Christians. In Matthew 18, Jesus explains how we're supposed to handle sin with each other inside of the church. The point is we don't let sin go in the church. We appropriately confront it when necessary. Now, if they're Christians and hate their same-sex attraction, they want victory over it, they're committing to fighting their desires, and they want to grow in Christian maturity, then we include them in the full benefits and uh, privileges of fellowship and ministry at our church, and we help them, we come alongside of them like we would any Christian struggling with sin, we help them fight their sin and grow in Jesus Christ. Now, if that person who struggles is mature and qualified, they can be an elder. They can be a deacon. They can be a leader in the church. They can be a teacher in the church. Temptation and struggle don't disqualify you from living a fruitful and victorious and meaningful life in Christ. One of the marks of a healthy church is loving people unconditionally while contending for the truth at all costs. And that's tough to do. We've got to help each other do that. However, it radically pleases God. How can you take a stand for God's truth without being a homophobic hater? Well, first, make sure you're not a homophobic hater. If you are and you see that about yourself, repent and trust Christ to change your heart. God will help us love people unconditionally. Also, love the truth. Never compromise the truth and sexual ethic of Jesus Christ. If you stand firm, persecution is coming your way. It's only going to get worse from here, folks. Jesus said, rejoice and be glad when we face persecution, for your reward is great in heaven. You see, persecution for the name of Jesus Christ is a blessing. That's how Jesus sees it. This might help you trust in God's sovereign grace. Trust in God's sovereign grace. It's not your job to change people. Tell the truth 
and love. Jesus is, in fact, good news because he replaces eternal suffering with eternal joy. Make Jesus look awesome and allow God's grace to change people. It's interesting, right before Paul mentions homosexuality, he says in 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is love. The aim of our charge is love. When we explain Christ's sexual ethic, our aim should be love. Love. Well, how do we help our kids process homosexuality? I think the greatest thing you can do is teach them the truth of God's word. Disciple your children. It's your responsibility as parents to train them to discern everything by the Bible, especially fathers. Fathers, God made you your children's spiritual leader. That's on you. You will give an an account to God. Are you a good spiritual leader is the question. Do more than teach. Live. Live for Christ. Show your children a loving and affectionate and passionate and fun, forgiving marriage. A healthy marriage is the best classroom for children. Teach them about the sinfulness of human nature and their nature. Gently teach them how to recognize and repent of sin in their lives. Be honest about your own sin. Confess and repent as a family. Create an environment of openness, trust, and love so they feel safe to unreservedly struggle with their sin. Then rejoice in God's forgiveness together. See, if you do that with your kids and you're transparent, you help them see that you know you're a sinner and you're openly confessing and you're doing it as a family, then you can all rejoice in what Jesus has done for you as a family because you all equally need his grace. One of the worst things you can do as a dad, as a mom, is to put up this holier-than-thou front with your kids. They'll resent you for it. Talk about sex and sexual sin in age-appropriate ways, they will encounter homosexuality if they haven't already. And so explain it as Jesus would, with tenderness and patience and openness and truth. Matt Moore's article, How Not to Talk to Your Kids About Sexuality and Sexual Orientation, is really helpful. There's information in your, in your bulletins about that. The best thing you can do for your kids is to train them to apply the gospel to every area of their life. we got to keep the gospel in our parenting, front and center. Next question. How do we quickly and lovingly present a biblical view of homosexuality? And I think this is important because there are times that you're going to be called on that you have to articulate the Christian position like right away. And you're like, oh no, I don't know. God, Jesus, and friendliness. You know, and you, we get lost in this. So Here's just a a quick outline. Know the Bible, okay? Your opinion is insignificant, but God's truth ends the debate. So if your focus is presenting God's view, you will be much more persuasive in culture. The power is in God's view. And so I think this quick outline here, five points, um, might help you to present Jesus' view of homosexuality. Here it is. God's character and we'll go through uh, each one uh, quickly. God's character, absolute truth, God's design and definition of marriage and sex, God's loving guidelines for sex, and Jesus is better than sex. Number one, God's character. Explain for people who God really is. 
and how holy and glorious and beautiful he is. Number two, absolute truth. Present how God has spoken through inspired writers, how the Bible is God-breathed, and that Jesus is behind every word, Old Testament and New. Help them understand why God's word is the authority on marriage and sex. Number three, God's design and definition of marriage and sex. God's design and definition of marriage and sex. Define marriage for people by Genesis 1 and 2. And explain why God's design and definition of marriage and sex are beautiful and good. And how marriage and sex were created to glorify God. Describe how male and female wonderfully complement each other. Help them see how marriage and sex illustrate the gospel and Jesus' relationship with his beautiful, pure bride. Number four, God's loving guidelines for sex. Notice this comes later after you've established some really important things about God and his truth. You don't start with, thou shalt not. I mean, it just... That there's something else to say first that's, okay. Number four, God's loving guidelines for sex. The strongest case against homosexuality is not the prohibitions in Scripture, though they are really, really important, but rather God's design and definition of marriage and sex. Show people what God forbids in the context of what God delights in. Explain for people why God prohibits all sexual immorality. Number five, Jesus is better than sex. If nothing else, make sure people hear the supremacy of Christ. The world must understand that Jesus is more picturesque, powerful, pleasurable, and permanent than sex. Is Jesus really better than sex? I'm interested in that question. Matt Moore ended his interview with the Christian Post like this. Jesus is better than sin. It doesn't matter what the specific sin is. Jesus is better. He is more valuable, comforting, and satisfying than homosexual behavior. And I can say that from experience. The world will tell you to embrace your homosexual desires because it'll make you happy in this life. Jesus tells you to deny yourself and follow him and promises to give you eternal life if you do. You must decide Every day, who you will believe and who you will follow, the way of the world or the way of Jesus Christ, end of quote. That's powerful. That's helpful. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We're not missing out with Jesus. Jesus is way better than sex. We have to let our culture know that. At the end of the day, when the dust settles from the cultural explosion of homosexuality, the only view left standing is the view of Jesus. Trust in the bulwark of Christ's view. Now, I'm sure you have questions. I've left unanswered questions. I haven't said everything there is to say. I'd like to hear from you your questions if you have, have questions. Email me. Call me. Uh, write me a little note. Etch out. There's a spot in your bulletin to put some questions if you have them. There's a box in the back that you can drop off your questions. You do not need to put your name 
All right, and what I, if I get some good, good uh, questions, I plan to write an article uh, to further help you apply God's truth in this area. So I want to get to your questions is what I'm saying to make this kind of a, a two-way thing here. When it comes down to it, this sermon series can be summarized quite easily. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you believe Jesus? I mean, really? Do you believe him? Are you willing to follow Jesus even when it comes to sex? I hope you listen carefully to what Jesus has to say about homosexuality. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. You have given us your precious son, Jesus Christ, And he has been so clear to us to inform our sexual ethic. And so if we want to follow Jesus, we know exactly what we need to do. It's been laid out for us in your word. And so, God, thank you for being compassionate and loving and patient and long-suffering and merciful to communicate to us through your word, through your son. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection Thank you for the life of Jesus. He he wasn't deviant in any way. He never had a, a sexually ill thought. That's just amazing to me. I can't say that. So God, would you come and forgive us of our sins? All of them. Everywhere we look, we have weird desires that are crooked and broken and sinful, and we need the gospel every day. I pray that you just do a movement in Jerusalem church, that we would be gospel-centered people, that we would come to the cross every day because we, we need help laying down our sin. We grab it too much and gravitate towards things that will kill us. Oh, but God, your grace is greater than our sin. It's marvelous. It's amazing. And so God, just help us to submit to you. Please help us. May the Holy Spirit lead us in the truth to discern, to judge rightly. And God, to be so humble and to respond to the angry cries of the mob in our culture, labeling us bigots, saying we're against civil rights, defining civil rights In an interesting way, our culture is not friendly to Bible-believing Christians. And so, God, I just pray that we stand firm with patience and love, that we don't yell, we don't carry hateful signs. We put down the signs and we give a cup of cold water and we have a discussion and we ask questions and we listen and we love and we share the truth. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We have a story to tell the nations, and our story is true. And our story 